Welcome to Elgin Baptist Church and thank you for tuning in to our morning service. The psalmist writing in Psalm 92 has in the inscription a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. And then in the opening verses we read these words. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. To proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. To the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. How profound your thoughts. And the lifting up of our voices to the sound of the instruments is something that I and, and no doubt many of you have greatly missed these past months. However, we are grateful that we do have hymns that we can sing along to. And we're going to do that now as we sing, first of all, All Creatures of Our God and King, followed by the King in all his beauty. Let us pray. Father God, we once again come into your most holy and awesome presence. We thank you that you are indeed the God most high. We thank you that we are able to, as the psalmist says, proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. How we thank you for these two great attributes, your love and your faithfulness. How we thank you, O oh God, that you have made us glad by all that you have done. How great are your works, O oh Lord, and how profound are your thoughts. And as we come to you, we recognise that we, are, we come to a God who is holy and who is just. And we pray, O oh God, for forgiveness. We ask that you would cleanse us from our sins. We thank you for uh, that new song that you have put in our mouths, a hymn of praise to our God and to our Father. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for all your goodness to us. Forgive us uh, when we take what we have for granted, Lord. We realise how blessed we are in Christ. We thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes from our Father above, and, and, and we return this morning in an attitude of gratitude to, to give you thanks, to give you praise, and just to seek to worship uh, your holy name. We pray for our nation at this time, Lord. We pray for those in authority that you would grant to them wisdom and discernment. We pray that you would enable them to rule fairly and wisely for all people. We pray that you, they would uh, realise that it is righteousness alone that exalts the nation. And we continue to pray uh, into the whole coronavirus situation, praying, oh God, pleading, oh God, uh, for an end to it. Uh, we do thank you that the, the, the numbers affected by it are falling lord and, and and we give you thanks for that but but we just pray uh, for an end to it we pray for those who, who are suffering physically from it this morning we pray father for for those who 
who are beginning to feel that the pain and in economical senses from it, Lord. And we pray into these before these people that they would know uh, your peace and your presence. Father, we we think locally uh, this morning on, on the terrible train accident uh, just outside Stonehaven, and, and and we pray for the families of those who have lost loved ones that you would comfort them and strengthen them at this time of, of many questions and perhaps even anger. We pray for those who are recovering. We pray that they will make a speedy recovery. We thank you for those who were involved in, in the emergency services. We thank you for them, Lord, and, and for their dedication and commitment. And we commit that whole uh, accident, incident into your care. And we just ask now, Lord, that you would be with us as we uh, gather around your word and as we seek to worship you in song. Bless us and be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, boys and girls, I hope that your first few days back at school went really well. I hope that you have settled in. And I hope that as well as learning, you have had fun playing with some of your friends, some of whom you may not have seen for an awful long time. And I just want to encourage you that wherever you are, uh, wherever you are at, whether it is school, whether it's at home, uh, whether it's outside playing, Jesus wants you, just as he does everyone, to, in the words of our next little song, let our light shine brightly for Jesus. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And if we all all of us, doesn't matter our age, if we all shine our little light, then we will have a huge bright light, bright, shining brightly for Jesus. So let's sing this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Let's just pray for our children. Father, we, we thank you that this past week has seen the return to school uh, for our children, we, we pray your blessing upon them. We pray, Father, that you would be with them in their learning. And we pray also, Lord, for their spiritual learning. Thank you for Joyce and Emma and week by week producing little videos for them to watch. And we just pray, Father, that your word would take root in their hearts as well. So watch over them and bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the reading for this morning is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and we're going to just pick up where we left off from last week. So I'm just going to be reading from verse 13 down to verse 16. So 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from, you suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. 
The wrath of God has come upon them at last. So reads God's holy, precious and inspired word. Before looking together at these verses, let us sing another hymn, a great old hymn that reminds us of what a friend we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just come to your word now and we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit for speaker and for hearer alike. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we noted, amongst other things, the importance of nurturing those who are new in the faith. And of how Paul dealt with them with almost parental-like instincts. He spoke of being as a mother. He spoke of being as a father. And as babies begin to grow and to develop, we begin to look for, for certain signs that show us that progress is being made. And in these verses, Paul gives to us at least two of these signs. And I want to share them with you this morning. Firstly, from verse 13, we see that they accepted God's word. They accepted God's word. Paul begins by reminding them once again of how thankful he is to God for them. We, we noted his thankfulness in verse 2 of chapter 1 as he remembered their work produced by faith, their labour prompted by love, their endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus. Well, here in verse 13, he tells us why he is again thankful for them. He says they were a church who not only heard the message, who not only heard God's word, but they accepted it for what it was, the very word of God. And let me just say that for any new Christian, for any Christian, and for any church, that must be foundational. That must be the case. An acceptance of the word of God for what it truly is, God's word. We saw from chapter 1 verse 6 that the church was founded. The church came into being as the message, as God's word came not just with words, but with power and with the Holy Spirit. And, and that word as it came was believed, it, it was welcomed, and it was accepted. You see, friends, the same word that brings us salvation enables us and guides us and directs us in our sanctification. It is, as Paul says, at work in those who believe. Is God's word working in you and through you? I would suggest that an acceptance of God's word is not only a sign that as a Christian we are growing, but it is actually the means by which we grow. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow. You see, the Bible is not just a book full of made-up stories. It doesn't just contain the word of God. It is the word of God. Paul tells us in uh, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed. 
Peter makes the same point when he writes this. You must understand that, that no scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Its origin was not in the will of man. It's not man-orientated. Yet, as Peter goes on to say, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, the ultimate author is God. It's his word. Our Bible is the written word of God that reveals to us Jesus, the living word of God. And brothers and sisters, it is a message and it is a word that is timeless, that is unchanged, and how we respond to it and how we accept it and how we live it out is a sign of how we are growing as Christians. You see, the church at Thessalonica both received and accepted God's word. That, that speaks to me of not just hearing it by ear, but, but also a kind of hearing of the heart. They, they, they loved it, but they also lived it. And that is what brought an attitude of thankfulness on behalf of the, of the Apostle Paul, who, as we saw, spent time teaching it to them. You know, there are fewer encouragements for any pastor than to see people responding to the word of God. To see a congregation engaging in it, sharing it, learning it, growing in it. It is why, uh, brothers and sisters, our growth groups are so important. That they were deliberately named that in order that as we engage with the word of God, we will grow. God's word is food for the soul. And the, the application is, is hopefully quite simple, isn't it? That just like a baby needs proper nutrition in order to grow, then as Christians, we need the, the nutrition of God's word. And, and let me just kind of say that snacking on it, a nibble here and a nibble there, is just as dangerous and harmful as snacking and nibbling physically. We need to get into God's Word. We need to chew it over. We need to digest it. I, I, I trust, I pray that you set aside time every single day to meditate upon God's word, to read God's word, to digest the word of God. Let me just say something here in regards to, to Bible reading and, and the use of Bible notes. Bible notes are not a substitute for reading your Bible. They, they can be helpful. I myself use them. Although, I, again, I encourage you to be careful in which ones you use. They may help you better understand, but never use them, as I said, as a substitute. Get into the meat of God's word. And in a day and in an age when many would have us believe that, that the Bible is kind of outdated, the Bible is irrelevant, uh, brothers and sisters, 
when God's word is preached in the power of the Spirit, and when we seek the Spirit's help in understanding it, it is the most powerful of all books, as it works in us and as it works through us. I think it was Spurgeon who commented that a Bible which is falling apart usually belongs to someone who is not. The psalmist speaks of his love for the word of God, especially in, in Psalm 119. He tells us it is by that, God's word, that a young man can keep his way pure. He rejoices in it. He delights in it. He meditates in it. It, it meant more to him than riches. It meant more to him than, than fine gold. Does that sum up your approach and your attitude to the word of God? The early church in Acts 2 devoted themselves to its teaching. The two on the, on the Emmaus Road, their hearts burned within as it was opened up to them. How responsive are we to God's word? Because you see, hearing it is not enough. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit to be lived out. And in Thessalonica, the message, the gospel, the word of God, not only rang out as we saw, but was lived out. And I want to suggest that a sign of a growing Christian and the sign of a true church is their attitude to the word of God. May we all receive it, accept it, and live it out. In the words of an old hymn, ancient words, ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Is your heart open this morning to the word of God and what the Spirit of God is saying? We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. They accepted God's word. However, that can be a costly thing to do. And it was then for the church at Thessalonica, and we'll come to that in a minute, and it is today. One today can be accused of all kinds of things if we hold to God's word on, on, what, on what it, or rather what God says, in relation to marriage, in relation to salvation, and, and, and other areas of life. But we are to hold fast and accept the word of God for what it is, God's word. He accepted God's word. We see from verses 14 to 16 that that can bring about opposition. So secondly, notice that they suffered for God's word. Paul has already alluded to their sufferings before in, in, in chapter 1. However, he goes further here in verses 14 through to 17. We see that as they accepted God's word, as they lived God's word out, so they became, as it were, imitators of God's churches that were in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. And notice that, as it were, natural, actually supernatural process here. For we read that they themselves were a model church. But they were only modelling and they were only imitating what earlier churches were. 
And so what happens is that we hear God's word, we accept God's word, we learn from others, and in turn we pass it on. And, and we are to become models. <laughs> Not many of us would have been called that, I would hazard to guess. Yet when we do just as that, as with the church here, then suffering in one sense or another is inevitable. And it's nothing new. Paul says to them, you suffered the same things those churches suffered. Persecution, suffering of one sort or another is, brother and sister, part and parcel of the Christian life. Paul writing to Timothy tells him and reminds us that when, when he says anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see, I, those who come here regularly or at least listen in regularly will, will have heard me mention before of how I believe a theology of suffering is important. And when we read and when we accept God's word, we see that clearly. Because when suffering comes, as it does come, we need something to hold fast to. Indeed, as we will see next time, this was one of Paul's concerns for this church, chapter 3, verse 5. But, but what does it mean? What does it mean to suffer for or to suffer due to God's word? For, for, for there are sufferings, isn't I don't, I don't know, that, that come our way, which are part and parcel of life itself. And what Paul is speaking of here is suffering and persecution due to our belief in the message of God's word because we are Christians. Not because we are bringing some kind of suffering on ourselves. You see, there is a suffering that, that can be due, um, if I'm honest, to, to our own stupidity or to our own sin. That's not what Paul was speaking of here. And that is not what is meant in suffering for the word or suffering for the gospel. No, no. It is when you might be disowned. In your own family. It might be when you are mocked and ridiculed at school for naming Christ. It could be when that promotion passes you by because you refuse to indulge in what would not be honouring to God. And as is the case for many of our brothers and sisters in other lands, it can even lead to imprisonment, torture, and in some cases even death for those who seek to live as God would have us live, to have us live that, friends, is suffering for God's word. And Paul's reminding them that these experiences are not just unique to them. Isn't that a great comfort to us, to know that others go through the same things? It's not unique to the church at Thessalonica. It happened in other churches also. It happened then. Sadly, it happens now. And it will go on happening till, till that waiting for Jesus from heaven happens. And when he comes in all his glory and then we will be forever with the Lord. And, and nobody likes suffering. But often that can be a mark that as a Christian you are growing. I, I think it is important to stress that the Christian life is not a bed of roses. Anyone, anyone who has been a Christian for any length of time will know that. 
And, and we do a great disservice to people when, when we preach, as it were, an easy believism. Come to Jesus and get this and get that and get the next thing. You see, it is where the prosperity gospel, which actually is no gospel at all, falls flat in its face. Because what happens when God doesn't give you that BMW or that house or that job or whatever else? What happens when you aren't healed? What happens when someone comes and says, well, all you just need is faith. You need to try a little bit harder. There must be a problem. There must be a sin. Sometimes we suffer. Was a lack of faith Paul's problem? When he pleaded three times with the Lord to take the thorn in his flesh away? And, and God said, my grace is sufficient. What about Jesus when he prayed in Gethsemane, Father, take this cup from me again three times? That's why, as I said, a theology of suffering, or at least a realisation of it, is essential. And it is often in our sufferings that we grow. I don't um, quote many pop songs. I, I, I don't even know if that's what they are called nowadays. Um, but there is an old song uh, in the 1970 that, that was sang uh, by an artist called Lynn Anderson. I had to Google it, um, but the chorus says this. I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. Some of you of a certain age will be singing along just now. I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. Along with the sunshine, there's got to be a little rain sometime. And those who know me will know fine well that uh, amongst many things that I am not, is I am not a gardener. But for roses to grow, they need the kind of rain and they need the sun and, and they also need to be pruned. I, I did a little research on this and, and one website said this, pruning removes dead and diseased canes and triggers new buds to push at the base so that new vigorous canes can form. Horticulturally, I have no idea what that means. But it is spiritually true, friends. A point that Jesus makes in John 15 when he speaks of the vine and the branches. And at times that pruning comes in the shape of suffering. I don't know, but maybe this is a word for someone this morning. Is there some old dead, diseased things that you need pruned in order that new buds can flourish, new vigorous canes can form. Then in what are quite difficult verses, uh, Paul speaks of the sufferings that they endured, naming those responsible for the suffering, uh, your own countrymen, the same things other churches suffered from the Jews. And then rings off four charges against them. They killed the Messiah and the prophets, they drove Paul out, they displeased God, and they hindered the missionary effort. 
Now we need to be careful here in how we interpret these verses. Paul is not being here anti-Semitic. Paul himself was a Jew. We saw last week from both Romans 9 and Romans 10 the love that he had for his own people. What Paul is speaking of here is those who at this particular point in time were persecuting Christians. It is, as one writer says, a description of certain opponents at the time, not a prescription of how Christians should view opponents and enemies. Because you see, it continues today. There are those who are hostile to God. There are those who make every effort to gag the preacher from speaking God's word. There are those who still today constantly obstruct the way of salvation. And they, and, and whoever they are, they are in an awful situation. Paul tells us their sins are piling up. He tells us they are under the wrath of God. Friends, this is a warning. It's a dire warning to all who in whatever way oppose God and his message. You see, there are only two ways to live. We either live for God or we live against God. To live for God is to accept his word, to turn from idols, to serve him and to wait on his son from heaven, Jesus, who saves us from the coming wrath. The other is to let your sin pile up and still have to face his wrath. I, I, I urge you with all my heart, if you have never done so, turn to him now and know the forgiveness and the peace and the joy and the assurance that he brings. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to be those who hear, receive and accept your word and who by the power of the Holy Spirit seek to live it out in such a way that we too may be imitators and followers of you. We pray, Lord, for all who are suffering today for the cause of the gospel and ask that they may know your peace, your presence, and your power keeping them and sustaining them. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Both in verse 10 of chapter 1 and verse 16 of chapter 2, we read concerning the wrath of God. In chapter 1, we read of those who have been rescued from it. And in chapter 2, we read of those who are still under it. When we truly grasp all that Jesus has done for us, 
then we can joyfully sing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus in Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, me, a sinner condemned unclean. Let us finish by singing that great old hymn of testimony. Lord, we thank you that you indeed took our sins and our sorrows. And we give you thanks this morning for your marvellous and your wonderful love. And we pray that grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit would be our portion this day and every day. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you once again for listening in this morning. And if you would like to get in contact with us, then please use uh, the following details that will appear on the screen. But once again, thank you and God bless.